Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm Jonathan Carl, ABC News Chief White House Correspondent. And I'm Rick Klein, ABC News Political Director. This is our daily Powerhouse Politics, which we are doing every single day. It's what we call it daily, Rick, uh, until we get to November 8th. And it's not just neat marketing. There's actually a lot going on every day. I mean, every day feels like a week or two weeks or a month. It's, so there's so much packed in here. So, John, the, the, the latest is that um, it looks like the map is bigger. Right? Yeah, let's, we, let, let's get right to this because I've got I've – got, um, and forgive me, Rick, but I know you're a numbers guy, so I think you can follow along here. But we've got a lot of numbers. First of all, the top-line number, ABC News tracking poll now at 46-46 tied. If you look at the Real Clear Politics average for a four-way presidential race, Real Clear Politics now has a Hillary Clinton lead of just 1.9%. This race clearly is tightening nationally. And then we have a slew of polls in the states uh, just coming in. I'll tick through a few of these. First, our friends over at Quinnipiac have Florida, a tie, statistically tied, Clinton 46, Trump 45, North Carolina also statistically tied, Clinton 47, Trump 44. That's within the margin of error. Ohio, Quinnipiac has Trump slightly outside the margin of error, uh, 46, 41. Pennsylvania, Clinton 48, Trump 43. Five points in Pennsylvania. That should make the Clinton team a little nervous. And then if you look at the CNN polls, uh, they've got Arizona at 49, Trump 44, Clinton. Again, that's on the other side. That I mean, that's an uncomfortably close margin for a Republican Arizona. CNN's got Florida statistically tied, Clinton 49, Trump 47. And they have a slight lead uh, for, for Trump in Nevada, 49, 43. And that's a shocker, John. That, that I think, has got more headlines than, than all the rest of them combined. If, they, if, if Clinton is falling behind in Nevada with its heavily Latino yeah. population and its union Democrats, that's a siren. That's a warning sign. But, Rick uh, – they also, CNN, their same series of state polls, has Pennsylvania at just a four-point Clinton lead that is within the margin of error. And then we even have a poll out of uh, Wisconsin. This is one of those places that we've been led to believe, and uh, I mean, I think I still believe, uh, is pretty reliably blue, uh, hasn't, gone, um, hasn't gone for the uh, Republicans since 84. Am I right about that? Uh, Six-point lead in the Marquette University Law School poll. Six-point lead for Hillary Clinton. Again, a little close for comfort. So the, the firewall, uh, we're not going to say it's crumbling, but it, it's showing signs of weakness. And you're seeing Trump. It's not a big, beautiful wall anymore. <laughs> Trump knows a thing or two about walls and, and, and maybe picking this one apart. Now, look, I, 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 think, I think this race is tighter than it was a week ago. It is not, as of now, advantage Trump. It's still advantage Hillary, but it's not quite the advantage that she hoped. And, and keep in mind, she is spending the day campaigning in Arizona, which a week ago looked like a savvy move to poke it in the eye of Republicans and potentially pick off a, one of the reddest states in the nation uh, to, to go in there aggressively, maybe claim a mandate. Now it's looking like maybe it's a sign of overconfidence when you see Donald Trump bouncing around the upper Midwest, potentially putting Wisconsin and Michigan in play, Pennsylvania looking close. That's where you start to worry. So I haven't seen it become panic mode for Democrats yet. Uh, I think they feel like it flattened out after a bad weekend and a bad couple of news cycles off of the Comey letter. But things are trending up for Donald Trump. And the path, uh, in fact, multiple paths are emerging out of the data today that weren't there a week ago. 
And if you look at our friends over at 538, Nate Silver, his percentage chance on the various outcomes now, 68.2. I love the precision from our friends over at 538. A 68.2% chance of a Clinton victory, a 31.7% chance of a Donald Trump uh, victory. I don't know where exactly we lose the point one there. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> maybe that's Evan McMullen working his way through the uh, the the you know the throwing it to Congress or something. But but look, that that's that's as high as we've seen uh, Nate uh, in, in in a long long time, and that's not an insignificant chance of winning for Donald Trump. I mean, he's the underdog, but that is not a prohibitive underdog. No, it's not. And, and, and I think you can look at some different models around what the popular vote looks like nationwide and say, well, if Hillary Clinton wins four or five points, which is where it looked like the race would be, you know, again, a week ago, uh, then there's no way that Donald Trump wins. If you're in the one, two, three range, all of a sudden, a lot of interesting things can happen. So I, I'll be curious to see how weapons are deployed. Uh, we talked yesterday about the uh, about the, the politics of baseball with George Will, and uh, we, we mentioned how the World Series was a politics-free zone. Well, actually, if you watch the commercials tonight for Game 7, you're going to see a couple of Donald Trump ads, a big buy that maybe aimed for that consist- the, the constituency of, uh, of white male voters that are so important to Trump's chances. So it, it's going to be everywhere, and I think you're seeing some some real-life chess moves over the, over the last couple of days. Trump is apparently spending some of his own money, and I'll tell you, Rick, I sense in a very real way, anxiety on the part of the Clinton team on this. And there are some very specific ways that you can see this. One, uh, the Clinton Super PAC, Priorities USA, is up now advertising, spending uh, real money in states that they were not spending any money at at all. Wisconsin, Michigan, they are up in Colorado. This is a state that over a month ago with some fanfare, they said, you know what? We're not spending any more money in Colorado because we've put it away. Well, now, you know, apparently they're a little nervous about Colorado. And then there's the candidate herself, Hillary Clinton on Friday. That's the, you know, the Friday before the election is going to be at a get out the vote event in Detroit, mm. in Michigan. Wow. Um, so, wow. uh, you know, I, they, 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 they still – I think the Clinton team still feels that they are winning and that they're going to win. I think that the Trump team, when you really put the truth serum in, you talk to them, they still think that you know that they are the underdog, that she's more likely to win. But there's no question there has been a sea change in, in – you know, how certain all that is. And there's anxiety all around and there's uncertainty about how this race is going to turn out. And, and it's fascinating too, if you just turn on a, a, a TV, you see this army of surrogates fanning out across the country for Hillary Clinton, uh, President Obama, Vice President Biden, Michelle Obama, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, go on and on. And Bill Clinton, of course, they're all out there driving up the vote in in critical places, and yet well, Melania not- Trump's going to be out there, <laughs> right? Uh, you guess you have you do have people named Trump who are out there, and yet and yet we're sitting here and looking at early vote data and saying, okay, slight edge Democrats, slightly off the pace in 2012, significantly off the pace with African American voters, despite the fact that President Obama is practically, but well, forget practically, he's begging them to go vote. You're not seeing even the vaunted Clinton turnout machine wheel into action and put this thing away. That is what concerns Democrats here six days out. And forget talk about landslides and historic victories and mandates. They'd be happy to eke this one out right now. And, and winning ugly would be more than enough for Democrats. 
So we have uh, our ABC political unit, which I, I believe, Rick, you still head up, right? Um, Nominally, ex officio. Yes. Um, so we, we go through and we have our race ratings and this is a process where we go through every state and we rate whether or not it's likely to be a Clinton state or a Trump state or a toss-up or Evan McMullen, whatever. And you've got a little bit of news. In the last couple of days, you, you, you've, you've swapped up a couple of states. Well, critically, we've moved Florida from a lean Democrat to uh, to a pure toss-up. We moved Ohio from a toss-up to lean Republican. And then on the other side, we saw Utah drifting over into battleground status as a toss-up. And now that's moving back toward Republicans. I think the likelihood of a Trump victory has Republicans coming home. I, and I so think that's, that's a lot of movement towards Trump. I mean, it you, is. You just described it, three states moving in Trump's direction. It, it is. It is all movement. Including towards. Florida and Ohio, by the way. Right, which uh, there, there still is a scenario, John, where, where Donald Trump wins both Florida and Ohio and loses the presidency, which is crazy for anyone who's followed maps and dorked out on numbers for the last two decades or so. That just doesn't happen. But that's the situation we're looking at because he, he needs other places that he can be competitive. I still look at Pennsylvania. I think it's critical now. Wisconsin and Michigan uh, coming on the board is, is very important. He's making a play in New Mexico that I don't really buy. Nevada, I, I, I tend to think it still leans to, to the Democrat, but it could, given the latest polling, it could go somewhere else. We're just seeing a lot of volatility in the race late. Okay, so let's talk out for a second on, on the numbers, on the path, because it seems that the kind of framing of this is that Hillary Clinton still has the map. The map still favors Hillary Clinton, but Donald Trump has the momentum. So, Rick, we are now in, in our race ratings down to three pure toss-up states. That's Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina. So if Trump comes in and, and runs the table, wins those three toss-ups, how many electoral votes does he have? I don't have the numbers in front of me. A yes, lot. you do. No, yes, I you don't. do. I don't. Well, the answer is 259. You want to write that down? Two, 259. Fine. Okay, so he has 259. So he still has to find a way to win to to I'm win somewhere that, 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 that that's blue I'm not falling for this trap. so so let's let, let let's say let, let's go through a couple of scenarios the scenario that the Trump team had been working from uh, you know, uh, really for for I'm for, begging for a while you not time. to do this to our listeners, John. No. So so let's go through uh, the, the 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 way they were looking was Nevada. Nevada is six six electoral votes, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay, so that gets him to what is that? Uh, two sixty-five. Two sixty-five, right? And then they had their eye on Corey Lewandowski's home state of New Hampshire, which I believe is four electoral votes, right? Also correct. So so that means it would be what? What would the electoral count be? You have a successfully established that it is possible in a theoretical world to find the answer is it would be 269. So it would be 269, and that was really the map they were looking at, I think, until uh, sure, it, yes. until last week. Sure. But you know, New Hampshire has drifted away, Nevada's drifted away, and they've seen some movement elsewhere. We have a new poll out today that I mentioned in Wisconsin. So let's say again, we come back to the scenario: uh, Trump sweeps the last three toss-ups. That gets him to where again? 259? 259. Okay. So let's say he wins Wisconsin, which now seems to be in play. It's a place he's, he's campaigning in. How many electoral votes does, does Wisconsin have? So uh, 10 is the okay, answer. Okay. So 10. So, two, so 259 plus 10 is what? You know, my, so my, seven-year, my seven-year-old can also do math and he can also find interesting ways to get to 10 and even 269. So what I'm saying is that two of the, of the more plausible paths for Donald Trump to <laughs> get to where he needs actually get you to 269, 269. You have an unhealthy obsession with the number 269 and, and it's a disservice to our listeners, frankly, as Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News. You but should you be you have to acknowledge that it's actually that there is actually a measurable uh, chance, and the next time we have our 
538 friends. I don't know. They'll give us the percentage down to the decimal point. You're saying point. there's a chance. There's a chance that this race ends up 269-269. Listen, uh, there, there may be no better way to cap off the wildest election of any of our lifetimes than with 269-269 tie, which, of course, our listeners know throws the the election for president to the House of Representatives where every delegation gets one vote and chaos ensues when the next president of the United States is, John, under that scenario, who's the next president? 269, 269 goes to the House. Who wins? You know, uh, in that case, I'm going to have to say that unless Evan McMullen had found a way to win some, some electoral votes in Utah, because you, you have to have won, you, have to, you had to have come in first, second, or third. In the you know to actually be eligible. So two sixty nine, two sixty nine. McMullen has zero. Yeah, he has zero. So so Trump wins because the Republicans control more delegations uh, in the House. But what you fail to rigged. Tell, it's rigged. But what you fail to tell our listeners is that the how is the vice president chosen it's in that chosen scenario? By the Senate. Okay, of course, it's chosen by the Senate. And it's the new Senate. Am I correct? You are correct. And and so yes, Vice President Tim Kaine will serve under. President Donald Trump. Okay, so there you go. I think on that note, uh, we should probably get to our guest, don't you? I mean, Bring it, yes. <laughs> I mean, so on on our uh, daily podcast today, we are we have we're very lucky to be joined by uh, one of the more interesting United States senators, a guy who in his spare time likes to uh, go to deserted islands and try to do survivalist stuff, and somebody who is not a big fan of Donald Trump. So when we come back, we will be talking to Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona. Hey, it's Rick here. We have another new podcast from ABC News to tell you about. It is Robin Roberts' Everybody's Got Something. She talks to famous guests like Giada De Laurentiis, Tony Robbins, Delilah, and more about how they've managed to overcome tough times in their lives. Again, that's Robin Roberts' Everybody's Got Something. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our show. And joining us now, Senator Jeff Flake from the great state of Arizona. Senator, thank you for joining us. Your your state is now, uh, uh, certainly on our map, uh, a pure toss-up battleground state, the state of Arizona. We haven't seen Arizona as a battleground state in a presidential for a long time. But do, do, How does it look out there? Well, it's close. I mean, the fact that Hillary Clinton will be here today, uh, I think, speaks to the closeness of it. I, I still think uh, Trump will likely pull it out, but um, it's a lot closer than it should be, put it that way. So... You you have uh, famously been um, – I guess you haven't called yourself never Trump, but you've never been Trump. Can we say that at least? Um, yeah. Never never, never climbed aboard that train. So uh, have you decided what, what you're going to do with your own vote? Uh, I still uh, have, have a week, so <laughs> I won't be voting for Donald Trump, though. That's for sure. And I won't be voting for Hillary Clinton either. And what about Evan McMullen? Well, that's a possibility. So, so where do you where do you see this going? I mean, there, there's been uh, you know the, the 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 trend lines here in the last several days have been solidly in Trump's direction, both in terms of national polls and in some of the states. I guess, with the exception of where you are in Arizona, um, I mean, do you think that there's a chance he pulls this out? Um, I think that's very unlikely. Uh, he just uh, has written off too many constituencies. Um, even if all of the Romney folks or the McCain folks from the last two campaigns coalesced around him, it just is not enough. Uh, particularly every four years, you've got to get, you know, a significantly higher percentage of the male white vote than you had before 
uh, just to balance the Hispanics and others that you're losing. And, and I don't think that Donald Trump has made those moves. So, Senator, you, you sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and, and if Hillary Clinton is elected president, there will be uh, some Senate term left and some time in January as well. Would you want to see Merrick Garland confirmed in that lame duck session, at least on, just on the calculation that you're probably not going to get a better nominee from a conservative perspective from Hillary Clinton with potentially a Democratic Senate, but almost certainly fewer Republicans in the Senate? Yes, uh, I've said uh, all along, if, if Hillary Clinton is elected, uh, we ought to move forward with the um, Garland hearings. So I, I do believe that. Hillary Clinton will not likely uh, nominate somebody as conservative as Garland. I'm not suggesting he's that conservative. He's just more conservative than somebody she would name, particularly if she has a Democrat Senate to confirm that nomination. So you'd want to see action in the lame duck? Yes. I, I know that that's a, that's a heavy lift. I don't know if that there's time to do that, but uh, that's what I'll be advocating for. So talk to me about the, the other scenario. If Trump is victorious, he comes in, he, uh, you think pretty much guaranteed in that scenario, he would have a Republican Senate and a Republican House. What can he count on in terms of support for his agenda from Republicans? Just speaking from, from your perspective and the Senate perspective, he's he wants the wall. Is he going to get the wall? What kind of what kind of support is there going to be for his agenda? Well, with, with regard to the wall, uh, if you look at uh, the bill that passed the Senate, we had a significant investment in uh, walls in some places, fences in others, uh, surveillance in other places. And I, I suppose we'd get more of that, and that would be good. Uh, but I would also be pushing for the other elements of immigration reform uh, that I'm not sure if they would have uh, support from some of my colleagues. Um, as far as some of the other elements of the agenda, uh, the, the trade agenda, I hope we don't go the direction that uh, Donald Trump wants to go in. He talked about ripping up NAFTA or renegotiating at a minimum um, and uh you know, going away from TPP, and we've got to enter into multilateral trade agreements. That's how you catch up to the globalization that's already occurred. So uh, there's some elements of his agenda that uh, he'll have support for, and some he's going to get pushback on. So why is this race uh, appearing to be as close as it is? I mean, if you look at Trump's position right now, and you look at where the states are lining up, it looks like he could be poised to actually, even if he loses, uh, do better in the Electoral College than uh, than John McCain in 2008, maybe even better than Mitt Romney uh, in 2012, uh, certainly better than you know Bob Dole in, in, in 96 or, or, or George Herbert Walker Bush in 92. I mean this is, this is a candidate who, as you said, has, has alienated you know, huge sections of the electorate and – uh, is part of a party now that's utterly divided. How How is this as close as it is? Well, I'm not sure that in the end it will be as close as uh, we're thinking uh, today. Um, but it, the, the country is increasingly polarized, and we've seen that uh, as elections have gone on. It's unlikely that we'll see the landslides we used to see, um, you know, in a couple of decades ago. So I think that just speaks to that. And also, uh, there's incredibly weak candidates on the Democratic side. I mean, Hillary Clinton's unpopularity is, uh, you know, off the charts. Um, she can't seem to uh, hold to the same narrative uh, on some of the issues that uh, 
keep coming up. And so I think any of the other candidates on the Republican side uh, would be far, far ahead. It's just difficult for Trump, given the positions he's taken and the behavior he's exhibited, uh, to get over the top. I'm curious on your background as as a Mormon, because there's been a lot made about the Mormon vote in this election and a lot a lot of interest in the Mormon candidate and Evan McMullen, but particularly the rejection of Trump. And I think you see it in not just in Utah, but in polling in Nevada and polling in, in Arizona. There are it seems like it's something more than just we don't like the guy. It seems visceral. Is there any any thoughts you have in talking to fellow Mormons about Donald Trump to, to explain why? For for a particular religious group, it seems like Trump is is viewed particularly negatively. Well, it's been for all the reasons that have been stated uh, on immigration reform. You know, the statement on day one of his campaign uh, referring to Mexican rapists. Uh, that that kind of language just doesn't sit well. Um, and also, then when he came to the Muslim ban, uh, that uh, you know, applying a religious test. Uh, for individuals, in this case, to enter the country, uh, to, to Mormons, that, that really uh, uh, that, that rubs Mormons the wrong way. I mean, we had uh, an extermination order for Mormons in Missouri that was quite uh, infamous uh, a century or so ago, and uh, so those things still matter. Um, and, and just the kind of the behavior, um, it, it, it stands so distant from what we try uh, to to be like, and, and so and not always successfully, but we try. So I think for all the reasons you've heard, um, it's a tough sell. And then I think that the topper was when he uh, made some reference to Mitt Romney, uh, you know, about maybe he's not as good a Mormon as he thinks or something to that effect. Uh, that, that really uh, didn't sit well with a lot of people. So in, in your uh, post as, as on the Judiciary Committee, you obviously uh, deal with the FBI quite a bit and, you know, James Comey. What, what, where do you think that is going? Do you think we're going to hear from Comey before uh, November 8th? And do you think that at the end of this whole process that there's going to be anything big there? Uh, what, 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 where's it going? You know, I don't know. I've uh, quit trying to predict what would hear. I, I think Comey is a good man. I, I've always uh, had good interactions with him. I was surprised in the summer when he was so public uh, with what they found at that point. And then following through, uh, you know, to this time, I've I've been surprised at what they've done. So I would want to predict what we'll see before the election. Did did you have a problem with that coming out the way he did? I mean, put aside your your opinions of of Hillary Clinton. I mean, it was odd in, in July to see him say, on one hand, I'm not going to indict uh, in, in terms of in, in court, but I am going to indict in the court of public opinion, which is what he did. Um, were you – did you have a problem with either that or this later move? Do you, do you, do you agree with some of the criticism that, that Comey has taken on both sides? Well, I, like I said, I was uh, – I, I wouldn't have – I would have preferred not to see what he did in the summer. Um, I, I like it more when the – FBI is, uh, you know, sticks to their policy of not discussing publicly uh, these cases. Uh, having having done, you know, what he did in the summer, I wasn't surprised that he felt compelled uh, to come out now uh, because it had 
that leaked out and he uh you know he would have been behind the eight ball there and and have to explain why he hadn't said anything so given what he said this summer i'm not surprised he came out now uh, but i would prefer that they stuck to the old policy Senator, I, I, I can only imagine the, the blowback that you've gotten from Trump supporters, from people that might in the past have been your base. I, I know what we get on Twitter every time we talk about this election, and I can only imagine what you're hearing. You already have now a primary challenger for your reelection two years from now. I'm, I'm just curious if any of that, if you have any lessons that you're taking away from the blowback that your position on Trump and the anger that's out there in this party and, and how you turn that into a positive discussion for your last two years of this term and then beyond. Well, it, I, I won't lie. It's uh, not, not been easy. I used to joke, you know, the same joke that McCain often tells that Congress popularity is down to paid staff and blood relatives. Right. I've, I've always thought I was fine having, you know, 10 siblings and 69 first cousins on my father's side, but I'm not sure, uh, you know, that blood relatives thing holds anymore <laughs> after this after this season. It's been tough. Uh, I I won't say it hasn't been, but uh, you know, the nice thing, uh, founding fathers uh, had a six year term for senators so they could play the long game and and not uh, simply respond in the heat of the moment. And I think this is one of those times. I'm glad that I'm not up this cycle, obviously. And I, I felt that somebody needs to stand and push back and say, this is not our party. This is not what we stand for. Uh, not just the behavior, but some of the positions that have been taken. And I think in the long run, it'll be the right thing to do. But, uh, but in the short run, uh, it's a bit painful. It really is. Do, do you read the, the, the Twitter feedback? Do you listen to the voicemail messages that come in? I mean, do you, or, or do you just get to the point where you don't even bother to look anymore? Well, I mean, there are certain uh, forums that you just don't uh, don't look, and, but uh, but you obviously hear it. I mean, I, uh, the people who stop me uh, in the gym this morning, for example, or uh, or are out, uh, you know, at a game or or whatever, far more of them appreciate uh, the stand that I've taken. But I understand those are the only only ones that stand, you know, will come and talk to me. <laughs> the others aren't uh, aren't inclined to do so. So, but I have no doubt my popularity has taken a hit um, during you know this time. But I think over time, people understand. And if you try to stand on principle, I think in time it uh, it comes out all right. And that's what I'm trying to do. I think for the party, uh, we cannot win national elections if we take the positions that Donald Trump has taken, and uh, certainly exhibit the kind of behavior he's exhibited. And so I, I think in the long run, people will understand that uh, if the Republican Party is to be viable, uh, we've got to get uh, get back to doing what we know we need to do. So I know you've got to run. I, I wanted to get your reaction to something that we heard on the uh, on the podcast yesterday from George Will. He 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 said that the uh, basically the, the the best thing that could happen for Republicans would be a blowout on the on the on the presidential side of the ticket, and therefore there could be a real kind of starting over. The, the worst case scenario would be a narrow defeat for Trump. And then, you know, there's the, 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 the lessons learned. I mean, you know, many people will just be saying, if only people like Jeff Flake had, had supported him, I mean, we could have put him over the top. But a, but a blowout makes it look like, wow, that was the wrong direction. The party can now <laughs> get back to its roots. Well, what's your sense? Well, we had a narrower loss last time, and, and we still felt it necessary to sit down and do an autopsy. 
and to figure out what we needed to do next. Uh, we unfortunately abandoned it and, uh, you know, chased uh, a populist. And I, I hope that uh, however uh, large or narrow the defeat, uh, we sit down and do the same thing, and this time we actually stick to it. And do you lose the Senate? Um, you know, it, it's everybody I talk to uh, across the country says it's very, very close, and uh, I wouldn't want to call it today. And, and if I know you, we have we have good candidates who are working hard. If you lose the Senate, does Mitch McConnell remain the Republican leader? <laughs> I I wouldn't want to speculate losing the Senate. I'm still hopeful we'll we'll hold it. Okay. All right. Senator Jeff Flake, Arizona, thank you very much for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Hey, thank you much, Jonathan. So, Rick, uh, there you go. Uh, uh, you got you got to say, you know, he, he Flake from the very beginning has been uh, one of Trump's harshest critics. He never signed on formally to the idea of never Trump. He always held out hope that, it, that there could be a change in behavior or positions. Uh, but I think now we can we can safely uh, put him in that never Trump category. It sure sounds like it. And I think there's going to be a class of, of conservatives, um, Republicans, who are going to be left to pick up the pieces. And, and I think Senator Flake is among those who have positioned themselves to say, look, oh, I, I stood up to something that I didn't think was right. I put principle above party. I didn't vote for him. I didn't fall in line like others did. And uh, my my genuine question, and I'm curious for the answer after November, and uh, as the as the party picks up the pieces from either a Trump victory or defeat, is how that's viewed. And there are others like Senator Sass. We talked about Evan McMullen putting himself out there and potentially doing very well in Utah and elsewhere. Do, do if you came out and stood up during this moment, are you in a better position? John Kasich, another one, said he he wrote in John McCain's vote for president this time around. Do you have more? leverage with the future of the Republican Party if you say you stood up to this? Or do you have more leverage if you were a good soldier and, and if you're Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz and say, I didn't like the guy, but I voted for him anyway? And, and I think on that, George Will's right. The, the size of the uh, of the defeat, if it is a defeat, is uh, is significant. Now, and I also thought, just reading between the lines there with, with Flake, he's not buying the tightening that we're seeing in the polls or in the electoral map. Uh, it sounds like he thinks this will be uh, closer to a blowout than a than, than a squeaker. And I don't think that's an accident either, John. And you and I talked to to people who are involved in these campaigns, and with the big caveat that they were pretty wrong about Donald Trump, generally speaking, they also don't see a fundamental shift in this race in the last couple of days. They see a tightening; it's undeniable in the public polling, uh, it's, and it's reflected in the private polling. But the folks that are really in the guts of these races do not see a fundamental change in the wake of the email story, or even in the final couple of days. Days. And the next few days will be critical for the polling, uh, the public polling perceptions. But I haven't gotten a sense among Republicans down ballot. The Trump campaign is one thing, but down ballot where they say, you know what, we're going to do OK here. Trump's going to pull this thing off. It's not there yet. And I think comments like Senator Flake, they're not just one off. I think he's reflecting those same potential realities. That's why it is a good thing that we are going to have another powerhouse politics podcast tomorrow. We'll be able to track these movements uh, day by day. And, and actually, really what we're doing is hour by hour. Uh, but that's all the time we have for today. So thank you for listening to this day's, this day's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Uh, please take a moment, of course, rate us and review us on iTunes uh, and follow us on Twitter. I'm at John Carl, at Rick Klein. 
Don't forget to check out the other powerhouse. The other, I mean, they're, they're powerhouse, aren't they, Rick? The other ABC News podcast at abcnewspodcast.com. They're power mini houses, but yeah. they're getting there. They're, yeah. they're, you know, baby powerhouses. That's okay. All right. Well, today's show was produced by Robin Gratison, David Rind, and I think Allie Rogan helped us with this thing as well. I mean, we, this is, this. that's why. That's why it's making a difference. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow for our daily podcast. Talk to you then. For Rick Klein. I'm Jonathan Miller.